This week we pick back up with our We Believe series by continuing with our look at the Lord's Prayer. A few weeks ago we spent time in the first petition and this morning we'll be in petitions two and three. I know I forgot to put it on the PowerPoint. I, I kind of forgot the third petition almost everywhere that I wrote it. So it is the, the second and third petition uh, this morning. And those petitions raise the prayer to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two weeks ago when we were last in this series, our text was the prayer itself found in Matthew chapter 6. This week we'll be in the book of Colossians, looking at chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Here the Apostle Paul does a great job of, of tying the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer together in his letter to the church in Colossae. If you have your Bibles with you and would like to follow along, I encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians now. If you do not have a Bible with you but would like to follow along on paper and ink, there should be a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you, or if you'd prefer, the words will be on the screens beside me. We read the word of the Lord this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Let's sense the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is true. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. What is God's will? That question used to keep me up at night as a young adult. What does God want me to do with my life? Should I go to college? And, and if so, Where? What should I major in? Should I, should I get married? And if so, to whom? Who is it that you have picked out for me, God? And, and how will I know? What, what should I do for work? What will that look like? How, how does God want me to be involved in mission? I definitely don't want to be a pastor. But there have got to be other ways that I can be involved in his redemptive plan for the world. So what are they? How will I know what it is that God wants me to do? How, how will I know what the plan is? What signs will I be given? Will I hear an audible voice? Will I, I get a tingly feeling in my gut? Will I just, just know? And what happens if I miss it? What happens if I miss the opportunities, the job, the wife, the, the mission avenues, whatever it is? What happens if I miss out on the things that God has willed for my life? Am I then outside God's will? Wandering in some black morass trying to find my way back into his will, his favor, back into his will for my life? Anyone else struggle to understand what the will of God is? I think that's one of the areas of God that we struggle to reconcile in our practical minds, right? 
We believe that God loves us. We believe that God has a plan for us. We believe that God is all-knowing. He, he already knows the future. He's already been there. He's omnipresent everywhere, every place, every time, present. So it stands to reason in our logic that since God knows where we'll be, that is the plan that he has for us. But we also know that we are really good at messing things up. So God in his wisdom and his perfection must have a plan for our lives. And so it stands to reason that we would like to live inside that plan. And that means he needs to tell us what that plan is, what his will is. And he needs to do it super clearly so that we get it and that we understand it so that we can follow it. And so we pray, or so when we pray, your will be done. There's a part of us asking, what's the plan, dude? Like, what's, what's your will? What am I supposed to be doing? Paul's prayer for the Colossian church is, is fantastic. As I have no doubt, they too were wrestling with questions about God's will. For Paul writes in, in verse 9 of our text this morning, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. May we pray that prayer here on our own church. That God would fill us with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that is given by the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We don't have the ability to grasp God's will on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, help that is given to us freely, help that we are encouraged to ask for. Our text then goes on to say that understanding and living in the will of God enable us to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. The text isn't saying that that's what God's will for us is. It's saying that's the result of living within God's will. So what is God's will for us? What is it that we're praying when we pray this petition of the Lord's Prayer? Because we want those things, right? We want to live a life worthy of the Lord. We want to be pleasing to Him in every way. We want to bear fruit in every good work. We want to grow in the knowledge of God. These are, these are great things. These are good things. How do we do God's will that we might get them? That we might be them? The Little Red Book, the explanation of Luther's small catechism, which we've been leaning on pretty heavily for this series, gives us some insight that is incredibly valuable as we are asking these questions. The book asks the question, what is the will of God? And the answer is, the will of God that his, is that his name shall be hallowed and that his kingdom come to us. Now, that's not a long list of things, right? I mean... It's one sentence. How hard can that be? We need to set apart, worship, hallow the name of God, okay? We understand that first part, maybe. And then the second part is that God's kingdom would come to us. Okay, maybe we need a little more clarity here. And, and the Little Red Book recognizes that, and so it asks the follow-up question, when is the will of God done among us? All right. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to have down, right? And then we'll get the awesome things, be able to do the awesome things that, that Paul lays out in his letter to the Colossians. So what is the answer to when is the will of God done among us? God's will is done among us, his church, when we love God 
and love others as he loves us. Where we want God's will to be, to be exact, to come with a detailed instruction manual so that we can make sure that we're, we're making the right steps, taking the right steps, it can be a bit of a struggle to realize how, how broad and in our sinfulness how incredibly difficult it is to do the will of the Lord. We'd, we'd rather have that, that detailed list. We'd rather have it all laid out. We'd rather have it be some general plan for our life so that we could feel like we were making progress along the right path that God has for us. We can feel like we're checking the boxes that we're supposed to. But that's not how God does it, is it? No. Instead, we get this generally yet incredibly this generalized yet incredibly comprehensive command to love each other. And we know, we know. That is difficult. And I'm not even talking about those outside the church yet. Though we need to get there. In some ways, it's easier to love those outside the church than it is to love those that God has called to work with us side by side in his mission. How are we doing with loving each other, church? How are we doing with loving those who have brought change? How are we doing with loving those who are resisting it? How are we doing with loving those that are different from us? How are we doing with loving those that we don't know too well? How are we doing with loving those that maybe we know too well? How are we doing with loving those that we disagree with? How are we doing with loving those that upset us, that make us uncomfortable? How are we doing with loving those that frustrate us? God's will is that we love one another. And yes, that means the lost. Yes, that means those outside the church. But man, it also means those inside the church. It also means our brothers and sisters in the pews. And I know that sometimes it's hard. I know that sometimes it's uncomfortable. And I don't think that it means that we all need to get together and sing Kumbaya and know the insides of, or what the insides of everyone's house looks like. I, I think that'd be pretty stinking cool. But I don't think that's what a proper exegesis of God's will is. However, the Bible is clear that walling ourselves off from each other, refusing to engage with certain persons and personalities, resisting love, resisting loving each other as God has called us to love each other according to his will, the Bible is clear that those are things we are not supposed to be doing. Those are things that are not inside his will for us as a church or us as a people called to join him in his mission. Now, that doesn't mean that we all need to engage in everything with each other. It's okay, acceptable, natural for us to know some in the church better than others and to have areas of comfort. That's cool. That's, that's good. We are not all going to go to every Bible study. We aren't all going to show up at every outreach event. We aren't all going to be here on Sundays together every week. We, we can't all be involved in everything all the time. But you know your heart, and God knows your heart. He certainly knows my and so the question becomes, are we doing what we are doing out of love for our neighbor? Or are we doing it because of our struggle with them? How do we reconcile what we are doing with God's will? And maybe that's a little forward. I don't know where you are this morning, but it might feel like I wrote this sermon for you. Well, in one way I did. But know that I wrote this sermon for me as well. Every message I give from this pulpit is one that I have had to preach to my own heart first. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I do not always act out of love for my neighbor, and I need forgiveness for that. I do not always put God's will before my own, and I need forgiveness for that. 
And it's one of the reasons that I love praying the Lord's Prayer. Because when we pray, your will be done, we are praying that God would be at work in our hearts. That we might better grasp the love that God God has for all people, even those people that we are struggling with. And that God's love would change our hearts towards those that he has placed in our lives, that we might see them in the way that he sees them. And we all need God working on us, working on our hearts in that way, for none of us perfectly follows his will, do we? God's will that we might hallow his name and that his kingdom would come. Which leads right into the other petition we're looking at this morning. Your kingdom come. As we look at the kingdom of God, we recognize that God's kingdom is a now and a not yet. That parts of his kingdom are present today and that one day his kingdom will come in fullness. And man, what a glorious day that will be. It is my suspicion that when we pray, your kingdom come, we typically are thinking in our prayer, God, return quickly. So this time of struggle on earth would be over. May your heavenly kingdom come soon so we can bask, celebrate in the awesomeness of eternity with you. And yes, that's part of it. But we're going to back, we're going to go back to the little red book again and look at where it at, look at where it asks the question, why do we pray your kingdom come? The answer holds three parts. We're going to look at each of them. The first reason we pray your kingdom come is because we cannot enter God's kingdom of grace by our own power, but it must come to us. It comes to us. We don't seek it out. We're we're dirty, rotten sinners. We don't have the ability to seek out the perfection of God's kingdom, much less attain it. No, instead, God's kingdom comes to us. There's a follow-up question on this point, and it's important to look at. The question asked is, when does the kingdom of God come to a person? To which we receive this answer. The kingdom of God comes when our heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit and a person is given the power to believe in Jesus. Church, the kingdom comes to us. We we don't seek it out. We do not qualify for it. We don't even have the ability to believe in Jesus without the power given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And so our faith even comes from him, given to us by him. The kingdom comes to us. Salvation comes to us. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We cannot attain it on our own. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit to believe. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Lord, I believe. We are given, we can say no as well. God gives us that freedom, which is further proof that some freedoms are deadly. But God gives us the freedom to reject his kingdom just as he is the one who gives the kingdom to us and through the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength, the ability, enables us to say, yes, Lord, I believe. And again, that we could not do without the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. For on our own we are depraved. On our own we seek our destruction, not God's kingdom. We see this emphasized in our text this morning where Paul writes in verses 12 and 13. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He has qualified us. 
He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son. And through the Son, we have redemption and forgiveness. God is doing the verbs. He is the one who saves. He is the one who brings us to the kingdom. What a fantastic gift that is for us. What a wonderful promise that God brings his kingdom to us and that he gives us the ability, enables us to choose to say yes. And we know that kingdom is not just for us. That God does not just bring his kingdom to us here inside the church walls. For the second reason we pray your kingdom come is that we want God's kingdom of grace to come to all people everywhere. All people in every place, every region, every nation, every language, every socioeconomic position. We pray that the kingdom comes to everyone with a heartbeat, with blood in their veins. Everyone who is made in the beautiful image of God, whether we agree with them or not, whether we are offended by them or not, even though we are still learning to love them or we have no idea who they even are. We pray that God's kingdom come to everyone and he has called us to be part of the answer to that prayer. It is his will that we love each other, but it is also his will that his kingdom come. And so he sends us out into the harvest fields with a message of salvation. Only he can give the power for someone to believe. But we know that God wants all to be saved, and so we know that God is working on the hearts of everyone, and so we go into the mission that he has called us to join him in. And that going may look very different for each of us. And that's that's totally fine, as long as it looks like something. And there's a high chance that that something is going to make us a little uncomfortable. I don't see very many places in Scripture where God calls us, calls his people to live lives of comfort. Nah, man, he's usually stretching us and pulling us and pushing us and shaping us to be more like Christ. And so if we think that his call in our life is just to sit comfortably and pray in our houses for those that are lost or those that we are struggling with, yeah, that's great. Pray for them, no doubt. But also pray that you might hear the other ways that God is calling you to join him in his mission. Because I'll tell you what, mission is uncomfortable. And you can take that one up with God. Not me, you're just a messenger. If you are comfortable in all the ways that you are doing mission, then pray that God would open your eyes to the uncomfortable ways that he's calling you to love people because make no mistake, he is calling you to those ways. And maybe some of us are tired. I get it. These bodies wear out, don't they? These bodies get tired. Our our patience runs out. We struggle totally. But know this. Take a rest. Take some time to gather your strength, but know that God's mission does not stop. There isn't a retirement plan here on earth. His will for us to love our neighbor doesn't have an expiration date. So yeah, take some time and rest, but recognize that God's call in your life is not over and that he has some awesome and fantastic things for you to do once you've caught your breath. And that's exciting. And that's exhausting, isn't it? And so we pray all the more. God, your kingdom come. For in that petition, we are also praying that for Jesus to return to begin his kingdom of glory. For that's when the mission ends. When God comes back, the mission is over. I don't pretend to know when that will be or what that will look like. I have not hidden the fact that I think it would be absolutely amazing to get to see the final battle between good and evil and maybe even to get to charge into the field in Armageddon riding a big old horse and wielding some massive sword. Man, that would be cool. Especially because we know who wins. 
the one who has the power to bring people back from the dead, the one that death cannot stop, the one who has already come before Jesus, who was born into this world of brokenness as a man, who suffered alongside us, who knew hunger and thirst, who laughed and who cried and who was betrayed. And the result of his betrayal was a trip up a steep hill to Calvary with the beams of a heavy wooden cross over his shoulders. But with that cross, he carried the sins of the world. With that cross, he took all the times that we have struggled to do God's will, all the times that we haven't loved each other like we should, like we have been called to, like God wants us to. He carried all the times that we've failed, all the times that we've hurt others, all the times that we have struggled to lead well, all the times that we have struggled to follow, all the times that we have been mad and angry, all the times that we have doubted, all the times that we have tried to be God, all the times that we have worshipped idols in his place. Jesus took all the sin that we have ever done and all the sin that we will ever do and the Bible tells us that as the nails went through his hands and his feet and as he was lifted up in his nakedness that he became it he didn't deserve that he he didn't earn that where we struggle to love our neighbor Jesus never did he did God's will perfectly He did not deserve to suffer and die for our sins, but his love for us is so great that he took our place on that cross. And as he hung there in his pain and suffering, he uttered three words. It is finished. Sin was atoned for. The price was paid. All sin had been dealt with. For once he said those three words, the Bible tells us that he gave up his spirit and he died in our place for our sin. But church, he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in the strength that he has given us, when we say, yes, Lord, I believe, when we have been given faith and the dirty rags of our sins have been taken from us, and then we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that when God looks at us, he does not see our sinfulness, but he sees the righteousness of his son that has been given to us, imputed to us. And so through faith, we have been brought into the family of God. Through faith, we have been reconciled with the Father. Through faith, the kingdom of God has come to us. And one day, we will rejoice in the kingdom that will last forever. I can't wait to party with you in heaven. We've had a lot of good times here on earth, and I'm thankful for those. And I look forward to many, many more of those. But church, I can't wait to party with you in heaven. When we'll be able to love each other fully in the ways that God has willed. Where there'll be no more awkwardness, no more disagreement, no more struggle. We'll all laugh at all the jokes. We'll all rejoice with the angels. Man, is that time going to be awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. But I get to. And I get to wait with you, church. And I'm blessed by that. Let us continue to pray the Lord's Prayer together that we might continue to be shaped by the will of God that we might love our neighbors, those inside and those outside the church with the heart that God has for them. And may his kingdom come to us as individuals and to the world that has yet to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf. And may his kingdom come in finality that we may all be caught up in the wonders of living in a perfect, everlasting kingdom, giving eternal glory and praise to our God. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, just, and powerful God we serve. Amen.